The sermon text this morning comes from the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. You can find it on page 1,223 of the Pew Bible. Please stand again as you are able for the reading of God's holy word from Revelation 7, beginning at verse 9. We read in Jesus' name. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, and you are saints. As we, have, as we observe All Saints Day together, the first thing we should do is define this word, saints. Most of the world uses this word wrongly. The National Football League uses it wrongly, but their misuse is pretty obvious. Our Roman Catholic friends also use it wrongly because they use it to refer to a special class of Christian, and even then, only after they die, when they can confirm that the deceased were, in fact, in this special class. But a saint is not a special class of Christian. A saint is simply a Christian. Every Christian is a saint in the biblical sense of the word. The word saint literally means a holy person. And to clarify just a step further, because you might not consider yourself to be all that holy. The word holy simply means set apart. And so a saint is not a perfect person. A saint is not even a really good person. A saint is someone who has been set apart by God. And this is true for every Christian. You have been set apart by God. Now, whenever something is set apart, we should ask, what is it set apart from and what is it set apart for? It's like if you have fancy dinnerware. You might set it apart by putting it in a special cabinet. So it's set apart from pizza night and it is set apart for special dinners. And so when we talk about Christians, you and me, 
Being set apart, we ask the same question. What are we set apart from and what are we set apart for? God has set you apart from sin and death. Now, you are still a sinner and we still die. But God set us apart from sin when Jesus took that sin upon himself and died with it. And this also sets us apart from death, because it means that death cannot hold us anymore. The wages of sin is death. That means death is the consequence or the the sentence of sin. And so when sin is removed, the sentence of death is also removed. And so even though we still die, we know that death cannot hold us. This is what we mean when we say that God has set us apart from sin and death. We also want to notice what God sets us apart for. He sets us apart from sin and death so that we might belong to him and live under him in his kingdom, in everlasting righteousness and innocence and blessedness. A saint is a Christian, and Christians are set apart from sin so that we will have righteousness in Jesus Christ as a gift from him. And we are set apart from death so that we will have life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. And this is what we gain when God sets us apart from this world and apart from the power of the devil so that we will belong to him. And this gift is for every baptized believer in Jesus Christ. Now, we can also talk about death. On All Saints Day, we remember those saints of God who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ. From this congregation, there were two since All Saints Day last year. On November 8th of last year, Deborah Johnson fell asleep in Jesus Christ. And then on October 30th, one week ago, here, at this very hour, Karen Dolliger fell asleep in Jesus Christ. You may and should remember other saints as well. I know that many of you are thinking of other Christians who have died in the last year, and I won't try to name them because while I know some of them, I am sure that I do not know all of them. And you may and should remember Christians who have died more than a year ago. It is appropriate to continue to remember them because the dead in Christ are not gone but they are alive in Jesus Christ. As we remember these saints, we give thanks to God for them, and we especially thank God that he gave them the gift of faith and that he forgave their sin for the sake of Jesus. And we thank God that the dead in Christ are not really dead, but are alive in Jesus Christ. And we thank God that while their bodies are dead now, they will not remain dead Forever, But at the last day when Jesus returns, he will raise their bodies from the dead, breathe their spirits back into them, and transform them after the pattern of his perfect resurrected body. We thank God for the certainty of this hope, and we are certain in this hope because Jesus died and rose again, and he remains risen from the dead, and he lives and reigns for all eternity. And so on All Saints Day, we need to talk about death, and we are free to talk about death. We need to talk about it because first, it touches all of us. People we know and love die. We 
die. If Jesus does not return first, you will die. Second, because many of you were here last week to see it. You were reminded that death can happen to any of us at any moment without any warning. And third, we need to talk about death because here at church, we actually have the answer to death. And by answer, I don't just mean a rational explanation of why it happens. We have that too. We can talk about the fall into sin and how death spread to all men. But when I say that we have the answer to death, I mean that we have the solution kind of answer to it. We have Jesus Christ who was crucified to pay for our sin. And so I can declare to you, for Jesus' sake, that your sin is forgiven. And Jesus was raised from the dead, demonstrating that that sin has been paid for in full. Since death is the penalty for sin, remember, once Jesus has removed that sin, death has no more power to hold him in the grave. And so he rose from the grave. And he has promised when he returns to raise his baptized and believing saints. That is the answer to death. And so we can talk about death openly and honestly. While the rest rest of the world and the best that an unbelieving world can do is kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, it happens, so we might as well accept it. We can actually talk about it and we can talk about it confidently. And it it struck me as we were singing this last hymn, Abide With Me, we can sing a lullaby about dying. That's what that is. Now, we can acknowledge that death is bad. It is not God's good and gracious will for us. He created us for life, and he intended that life to stay there forever. But death came into the world through sin, and it spread to all mankind. That means you and me and everyone. Death is bad. We don't have to pretend it's good because God has promised us something better, even in the midst of death. And so we can also talk about dying well, or what Luther calls in his small catechism, a blessed end. Regarding the last part of the Lord's Prayer, which says, but deliver us from evil, Luther writes, we pray in this petition, in summary, that our Heavenly Father would deliver us from all manner of evil, whether it affect body or soul, property or reputation, and at last, when the hour of death shall come, grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. A blessed end, by the way, does not mean that we have a pain-free and peaceful death. It may or may not go that way. But a blessed end simply means that God preserves us in the one true faith until the hour of death. And then he graciously takes us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. It means that we fall asleep confessing the faith. In this passage from Revelation, the Apostle John sees a vision of the church of God in heaven. There's an uncountable multitude in white robes along with all the angels of heaven, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, They're all gathered around the throne, worshiping God the Father and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. One thing that is just fascinating about this vision is that John is in it, even as he's looking at it. Of the 24 elders, 12 of them are the 12 apostles, which John is one of them. And so John is actually one of the elders in the vision that he's seeing. 
It's kind of mysterious. But time on earth is not the same as time in heaven. And so John can, can in his life on earth, see something in heaven that comes at the end of the age. And so I can't prove this, but I, but I think this is also true. He may also be seeing you and me and all the saints of God in that uncountable multitude. All the saints are members of this great multitude. We learn this when one of the elders asks John, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And John answers, sir, you know. And this is a wise response. Sometimes when an important important person asks you a question, uh, it's worth a shot, just turning it back on him saying, sir, you know. And the elder gives the marvelous and comforting answer. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. That is, these are Christians who have died. They suffered on earth. Their last suffering was death. And now they have come out of the tribulation and into the heavenly host arrayed in white. They are there together as one body praising God. Death cannot separate God from his beloved saints. Death can separate us from everything else. Death separates our souls from our bodies. It separates husband and wife, parent and child, and every other earthly bond. But it cannot separate us from God. That is because we are baptized into Jesus Christ, who was crucified and risen passing through death for our sake, so that he will bring us through death as well. The one bond that death cannot break is the one holy communion of the saints. So husband and wife, parent and child, may remain one, even when separated by death. But it's not the same kind of bond that we have on earth. We remain one with the departed saints, not by virtue of our bond on earth, but by our heavenly bond in Christ Jesus. We remain one as children of God. That means your husband or wife will not be your husband or wife in the resurrection. You will be reunited as children of God. The same is true for your parents, children, friends, and relatives who fall asleep in Jesus Christ. The communion of saints is a stronger bond than any earthly bond. And so for our loved ones who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ, this is the greatest comfort. We will be with them in that heavenly host arrayed in white. Perhaps the most marvelous, not perhaps, certainly the most marvelous detail of this vision is the white robes. Everyone is dressed in white robes. And the big deal with the white robes is how they got white. The elder says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. (laughs) Just try to compute that in your brain. Blood leaves stains, right? But this blood removes every stain. Maybe somewhere there's a researcher working for Tide trying to figure out how to make things white with lamb's blood, but it's not working. That's because this is Jesus' blood. The lamb is Jesus Christ. It's not really for your clothes, the blood that is. It's for your soul. Every stain is washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The saints of God 
do not become saints by their own good works. That's not what a saint is. A saint is a sinner who has been set apart by God for God and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That's what a saint is. The blood of Jesus is strong enough to wash every stain of every saint in this uncountable heavenly host. It is certainly strong enough to wash away your sin. And this is why the saints cry out, in joy, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May God so grant us to follow where these saints have gone. May he strengthen and preserve us in the faith so that we too may stand before that throne and sing with them. And hear the promise of what our God will do for us there. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And so we together pray, Amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.